Support for IPR comes from Hands in Harmony, a therapeutic healthcare facility with a splash of spa and a team of holistic healers to help in the quest for health, harmony, and happiness. Cedar Rapids and Mount Vernon. Classes, massage, and more at myhih.com. It's River to River from IPR News. I'm Ben Kiefer. It's Legislative Monday. Mondays during the legislative session, we like to devote discussion to issues being debated and advanced at the Iowa State House, especially those uh, that are controversial, and we have two of those today. Later in the program, we'll discuss the governor's health care bill that has seen some backlash from both pro- and anti-abortion advocates. Uh, we'll talk with lawmakers on both sides of the aisle and uh, Natalie Krebs will be my co-host for that part of the program. First, let's discuss House Oversight Committee hearings that have been held over the last month regarding school book challenges and the House's bill to require schools to post curriculum and book lists, uh, provide a form for parents to request banning a book in schools. In just a moment, we'll be joined by House Oversight Committee members, representatives, state representatives Brooke Bowden and Lindsey James, a Republican and Democrat. But first, let's get a better handle on what these uh, proposals are all about. Grant Gerlach, co-hosting with me for this first part of the program. Hi, Grant. Hi, Ben. So let's uh, break it up into two chunks uh, for you to explain. One, I guess the umbrella term would be school transparency. What falls under that umbrella? Well, that would include um, parents wanting more or easier access to know what is being taught in school and what's in school libraries. Uh, So this has been an emerging issue over the last couple of years, um, trying to create rules that make it easier for parents to see what what specific materials teachers are using in the classroom and even a, a catalog for schools that don't already have it, a catalog of, of what books are in the library online for parents to see. Those are proposals that were made last year and have, have rolled over into this year. Um, and so that's that's a big part of the transparency part of what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. And, and to, to one end, so that uh, parents would have information there and could object to it or somehow have uh, shaped the uh, curriculum? It, yeah, and so, and so that they could uh, object if there was a book that they or a, or a subject that they, they didn't want their child to be uh, part of in school or uh, just to have more access to, to mm-hmm. know what schools are using in the classroom. Parents do have the ability to opt out of particular lessons or um, if there is a particular book that's being taught in a literature literature class, for instance, they can ask to use a different book for for that project. So that's something that could be covered by these transparency rules. Okay. Tell us more about the proposals for book challenges, more restrictions on books that are available through a school library, for instance. Yeah, this is kind of the other part of what we're talking about. And we've been hearing more about books that some parents find offensive or obscene that are in school libraries. And we're talking about books that are being challenged mostly over sexual content, sometimes quite graphic content. And the debate is whether those books belong in schools. And there are a few books that come up all the time in these discussions. Uh, one is Gender Queer, which is a graphic novel memoir about the author coming out as non-binary and includes illustrations that show oral sex. There are also, I mean, there are many others, but there's also, there are, there are books by well-known critically acclaimed authors like The Bluest Eye by Tony Morrison 
That's about a young African-American girl growing up during the Depression and how she was treated because of her dark skin color. And that book includes descriptions of incest and sexual assault. That's a book that's been challenged. Um, so there, there has been a surge in these challenges against those books and many more, not just in Iowa, but nationwide. And it's become a political issue. Um, this month, there were hearings, as we're going to talk about, in the House Government Oversight Committee about what book challenges look like or book reconsideration uh, looks like in Iowa and why parents are challenging certain books. Just to tell you what's been happening, in early February, there was a, a committee meeting about uh, with parents who have tried to have books either removed or restricted from their schools or, or certain classes. Then last week, there was a hearing with superintendents and board members in districts where books have been challenged to talk about how they responded. And Democrats held their own meeting with parents who uh, oppose efforts to remove certain books from school libraries. Mm -hmm. So that's how the conversation has been happening over the last few weeks here in the legislature. And just to, to give one more bit of context, mm -hmm. in the background, there are some uh, legislative proposals that could uh, impact what book challenges or reconsideration looks like in the House. There's a transparency bill that includes rules um, that say books have to have a review process and there has to be a reconsideration form that's easily available online and that schools have to allow parents to request that their child can't check out certain books. And then in the, on the Senate side, the governor has a proposal that covers a lot of things, but it also includes a proposal that uh, if a book is removed from one school's library, then all other schools in the state would have to get a parent's consent before a student can check it out. Mm -hmm. So those are some of the proposals that are working through the legislature on these issues. Grant, before we um, uh, go to the lawmakers that are with you at the State House Law Library to have uh, their opinions on this, let's listen to some of that testimony before the House Government Oversight Committee. Um, Amy Day, who lives in the Carroll Community uh, school district uh, spoke before that committee on February 6th. She told the committee she found 76 books in her school district. She deemed, quote, sexually explicit and otherwise inappropriate. None of these books were removed through the reconsideration process, according to her. Here are her comments after reading a passage depicting sexual intercourse from the young adult novel Red Hood. I object to the obscene sexual activity in this book. I am shocked that five people, seven people, five adults, and two students believe that this is age appropriate for students from 14 to 17 years old. Did you read this material when you were in high school? No, because it was not age appropriate. Would you read this out loud to your children or grandchildren? Why not? Because it is not age appropriate. It is obscene and sexually explicit. No student should have access to this filth in their school. I come from a broken home with no father. My mother worked two jobs to care for my sister and myself. We were very low income and mostly unsupervised from a very young age. I thought about how vulnerable I was as a child and how much worse it would have been for me if adults were subjecting me to this material at school. I became very concerned about the vulnerable students in our school district. Without proper adult supervision, these students are at risk of being taken advantage of and preyed upon. Amy Day there. Juxtapose uh, that testimony with uh, that of the West Des Moines School Board President Jeff Hicks among the school leaders questioned by that House Oversight Committee. This was on February 20th, this excerpt. His district and the Carlisle district were uh, the two among the group that have retained the book Gender 
queer that you mentioned there, Grant, despite challenges. Hicks stated during that hearing he believes the beauty of literature in art, everybody sees something different, and it speaks to them in a different way. I think the context matters. I mean, I, I think of an example. If, if you displayed a picture of a woman with her breasts exposed or a young boy with his penis exposed, that in and of itself, you'd say, well, that surely strikes me as obscene. But those depictions are in mur- murals in the rotunda. And again, I'm not equating the two, and I'm not say- but the context of, the context matters, that you can't take one picture, one image out of context and say the entire thing is obscene. February 20th testimony from West Des Moines, the school board president, uh, Jeff Hicks. You can join our conversation, 1-866-780-9100, 1-866-780-9100, or email us, river to river at iowapublicradio.org. Ben Kiefer with uh, Grant Gerlach uh, for this first part of the program. Uh, let's welcome our uh, two lawmakers with Grant at the State House Law Library. Representative Brooke Bowden is with us, a Republican from Indianola, Warren County. On that, uh, he's the Government Oversight Committee Chair. Representative Bowden, I, rem- I understand you have to leave us at half past, but thank you for making the time for us. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on here today. Representative Lindsay. Well, it's, yeah, sorry. Oh, sorry. Oh, yes, we also have Representative Lindsay James joining us, uh, a Democrat who's on the Government Oversight yeah. Committee, and it's a very busy week. So yes. thank you for joining us during the final week. In the yeah, thank you, Representative Lindsay James uh, of, of Dubuque. And, and Grant, I'll just hand it over to you for, for some first questions here. Well, thanks. Uh, so Representative Bowden, why, why isn't this just a local issue? Uh, how is this an issue that deserves to be highlighted at the state level in these government oversight hearings? Certainly. So what happened was we've had so many lawmakers that have been contacted by their local uh, constituents discussing this issue. And it really, the light began, began <clears throat> excuse me, a, a, to be a spotlight on the situation. As we started talking to different parents who've gone through the book review process, what we realized was that... Um, there was a lot of everybody had a different story. It, the process was different for everyone, and whether or not we had a handle on our our constituents being heard and the process working appropriately, because they sent me the information. And um, when we look at age appropriateness um, as a chair, in my opinion, that wasn't being addressed. So I felt it was my position to come in together with those who had challenged the books and those who were sitting on those committees and those in charge in, in the administration and hear from them. So we had a clear understanding of that review process. Is it working? Who is it possibly affecting? Is this getting done? Um, and many of them went all the way through the entire process mm-hmm. um, and they exhausted that resource. And when you exhaust that resource and you still feel like children are at risk, then it's our turn to take a look. So just to quickly review what that process is, you know, generally, because it may be different in different places in some uh, respects, but a, you know, a person can take a, pl- a com- complaint, take their complaint to a teacher or a principal, and if, that's, if it's not resolved there, they'll form a committee that reviews the book, that gives a recommendation that it can either just stay as is, they can restrict access to it, or they can remove the book. If the parent doesn't like the decision that's made there, they can 
take it to the school board. They can even appeal all the way to the State Board of Education. So is there a problem with the reconsideration process itself? Or is the issue here just that the conclusion reached by the school districts didn't match what these parents wanted? I think for me, it was interesting to look at the different schools who came up with different ideas, right? So we had some schools that kept books that were extremely graphic with depictions of minors giving oral sex to one another with pictures of them in in their libraries and some schools that deemed them to be totally inappropriate. And so how do you how do you solidify that? And in our do we have age appropriate defined well enough in our law? Uh, Representative Bowden, uh, if you have more to your answer, we'd sure love to hear it. We have to take a break right now. Representative Brooke Bowden um, of Indianola and Representative Lindsey James. Join our conversation. We'll be right back after a short break. 1-866-780-9100. 1-866-780-9100. Talking about um, schooling and transparency as well as challenging books. Support for IPR comes from Hands in Harmony, a therapeutic healthcare facility with a splash of spa and a team of holistic healers to help in the quest for health, harmony, and happiness. Cedar Rapids and Mount Vernon. Classes, massage, and more at myhih.com. Support for IPR comes from the Healing Room at Upstream Functional Medicine, offering medical spa services that support the body's natural ability to detoxify from environmental challenges. Learn more about the Healing Room at upstreamfm.com. We're back with more River to River from IPR News. I'm Ben Kiefer with my co-host for this portion of the program, Grant Grant Gerlach. We're talking about uh, some proposals having to do with education uh, at the State House. Um, uh, we had um, House Oversight Committee hearings held over the last month regarding uh, school book challenges, also a House bill to require schools to post curriculum, book lists, also an online form for parents to request uh, banning a, a book. And before we uh, went to break, we... Well, let's remind our listeners that uh, Representatives Brooke Bowden is with us, a Republican, and Representative Lindsey James, a Democrat, are with us. Uh, we had to go to break, Representative Bowden, excuse us, uh, but perhaps you had more to say on the point you were making before the break. Go ahead, please. Yeah. Yes, thank you. So, you know, we heard from schools that had libraries K through 12 that where a book might be sitting out on a table left out accidentally where a child had been exposed to some pictures and graphics that were uh, very disturbing. And so looking at that, we, you know, do we have to redefine or look at our age appropriateness? And so we will see a bill drop about that later today. Um, it's, it's really time to kind of help it, exactly what uh, Jeff Hicks was saying. The um, interpretation by everybody seems to be different. And um, we had what I felt to be clear pornography language um, with the carve out of education. Unfortunately, it's just given a leeway for um, very sexually explicit material that um, I would assume our host would not allow me to read on the radio. I would ask, can I read it? No, I mean, the broadcast standards are different than general obscenity standards. So um, to to that point, like it, it is one of those things where we have to start looking at, do we need to to make sure that our schools understand what that truly means? So, Representative James, by this point, if you weren't before, now you're familiar with the the parts of these books that have come up in these hearings, um, these explicit passages. So, based on the outcomes that you heard about in these uh, review committees, do you see any problems that need to be addressed with the process? Sure. Thank you for the question. I want to back up just a little bit. 
before I answer that, uh, the group of moms that came in on on early in February were moms that were uh, affiliated with a group called Moms for Liberty. That is a group that started in Florida. It's partly funded by a ultra right wing conservative political action committee, a PAC. And so my concerns right off the bat always are, um, are we hearing political partisan fear mongering in this moment? Or um, do we fundamentally have a problem with the way in which our book reconsideration process is happening? So here's where I would answer that after hearing from moms for, you know, who are affiliated with Moms for Liberty, Democrats held a, a separate oversight meeting hearing from moms who were really concerned about book banning efforts from this particular group. And then we did hear from those administrators. So what I heard is, again, the question of, is this fundamentally a flawed reconsideration process and opt out process? Or are these parents simply unhappy with the results? And I would say after hearing from those entire groups of people that I would say that they're unhappy with the results, but at the same time, not unwilling to take a look at a process that's human made. And if we want to make sure that we have enshrined an opt out process, which is already in existence, but into code, then maybe we ought to do that, refine some things. But at the end of the day, this is about parental choice. And if one parent's that right should be upheld. If you choose to have your child um, not exposed to a particular book, then that is perfectly in your right. But it's when your parental choice interferes with my parental choice to make sure that my child has access to a diversity of literature, then then it becomes problematic, hence an importance of a, of a thoughtful process. Representative Bowden, what's your response to, to that point? Uh, many opponents of these transparency or uh, more strict standards for school library books point out that it could put one group of parents' preferences above the preferences of a of another group of parents. Why not keep it more specific to one parent has the ability to control what their own child has access to? Absolutely. So I, I completely agree. It is a parent's choice. And we are we are advocating that the parent doesn't allow their child to read these type of books. These type of books are we're not asking for them to be out of circulation. We're asking for them to be age appropriate with inside the school walls. And so if that parent wants to read that book with that child or buy that book for that child, rent it, check it out from the public library, um, that's certainly their right as a parent. Um, and, you know, I think we heard probably from those moms that came before us because it is difficult to sit before an oversight hearing committee. And those were the moms that had already um, st stuck their foot in the pool and really made an, an effort to um, shine, shine some light on this. Um, those moms were, you know, um, quickly targeted, and it is a very difficult thing to go through. And so... Um, I think none of them knew each other prior to, to joining that group. I think that, that that brought them together. That was the issue that brought them together, that formed the Moms for Liberty group. Okay, but let, let's go to a caller. A lot of interest in this topic uh, we've been hearing over the past few weeks. Miriam is with us in Jackson County, it says on my screen. Miriam, Miriam welcome to the program. Uh, you're on the air with uh, uh, Grant Gerlach, uh, uh, Representatives Brooke Bowden, and Representative uh, Lindsay James. What's your question? Um, I don't have a question so much as I have a comment. Um, I went to the University of Iowa and and was heavily influenced by uh, an appearance by Burt Lancaster and Anthony Burles, who wrote the Fahrenheit 451 about banning books. And you know, the I I, I have to preface my remarks by that. And number two, I think that. To use words like inappropriate and and 
and disturbing and pornographic. It's very, very of what these people are, what these young people in Iowa are capable of, of uh, deciphering in terms of, of their sexual identities. And certainly kids that are 14 to 17 have the ability to understand this. And um, I don't, and I think that this just creates an environment of sex shaming that certainly when I grew up was, was something that I had to deal with on a, at, in a different way. And I just think that this is, Thank you know, you. to look at this this way is not appropriate. Miriam, I think we got the point. Thank you very much for your call. Uh, Representative Bowden, are you at all concerned? I know you have to leave in just a couple of minutes. Are you all concerned that these challenges do tend to land on books that are about LGBTQ issues or are about systemic racism? You know, that's a very good question. I, I'm not certain why those are the type of books that have been brought in with that type of graphic language. I don't think any of us should be targeting any of those people. I think there's a great way to have conversations around all of those subject matters. And I do think our kids are intelligent, absolutely intelligent, intelligent enough to have those conversations without explicit graphic material to get the message. Um, and so when when we look at books, there's there's a long list of books that would convey the same type of conversation without getting into the type of literal pornographic material. And, you know, I can't read it here, but I would encourage every guest to really do some research on what we're talking about. Okay. Before you do need to go, Representative Bowden, uh, Joel, one of our listeners, writes in an email, do the governor's new laws regarding education, such as books considered inappropriate, apply to private schools or only to public schools? What's your answer to that, Representative Bowden, please? What, what would you want them to apply to? If, if, for instance, the standards that you're talking about, should those apply to all schools, public and private in the state? For uh, the pornographic material is yes. absolutely age appropriate, yes. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, let's, um, uh, Representative James, we haven't been to you for a few minutes here. What, what is your reaction to perhaps the caller or the latest discussion on private versus public schools here? I'd be happy to respond to Miriam. Thanks for calling in, Miriam. It was an important question. I think she, uh, when she talked about kind of the historical context, that's an important point as well. So you don't have to scratch the surface of history to learn very quickly that um, book banning efforts is not a new thing in our country. Um, You know, during leading up to the Civil War, there was a group called the Daughters of the Confederacy that actually worked to ban Uncle Tom's Cabin, which addressed the evils of slavery. And so there is some concern that um, these are continued efforts around um, censoring. We have strong First Amendment protections in place to make sure that um, that censoring doesn't happen. And the Supreme Court has upheld that one school board cannot remove a book just because one parent feels uncomfortable with its content. I think the other piece of Miriam's point is the actual uh, content of it in which I would say parents of LGBTQ students and um, and members of any minority or oppressed community have shared with me that they their child has found themselves in those stories and they have had their lived experiences validated because of these pieces of literature. And so I think it's important, again, to go back to parental choice. There is parents who say that they want their children to have access to this literature. And so we need to figure out how to uphold those both. 
And that point was made in the, the meeting that you held with, with parents last week, uh, that a, a defense for these books is that they uh, provide perspective on marginalized groups in our state, whether that's based on their race or gender identity or, or some other factor. A, a point that some Republicans have made on the Oversight Committee is that there may be a way to represent those groups without having the graphic materials that that show up in some of these books. So why is it important to have these books in the libraries or, or allow libraries to choose to keep these books rather than uh, give more consideration to books that cover the same topics um, without raising these same questions? Thank you. I think part of what um, I'd like to point back is Iowans are tired of politics, right? And they're tired and suspicious and skeptical of politicians. And uh, part of my concern is that um, politics are inserting themselves in this process. We have school boards, you know, independently elected officials. We have thoughtful educators, administrators who have a process in place called a book reconsideration to to hear, you know, address a book challenge, but also an opt-out process. So I, I think that we ought to, you know, continue to lift up our educators in this conversation and, um, you know, make sure that their voices are heard in the midst of this. And those parents, again, who really are advocating for their child to find themselves in, in a book um, that maybe a book of concern for these moms for liberty. Mm -hmm. Let me just throw in some listener input that's come in in the last few minutes. Uh, Sherwin writing to us, there's a lot in the Bible that would recommend banning that from Sherman. Um, and then also we have, I know a, represent, a Republican representative, Brooke Bowden, is, is, uh, has left the, the uh, room, but uh, I'll ask you, perhaps Representative uh, James, uh, as a Democrat, to, to what extent you echo the feeling from Anne in Cedar Rapids, who writes, what this is really about is opposing LGBTQ rights. National groups like Moms for Liberty advise local groups to achieve the goal, their goal of eliminating mention of gays or transgender or race topics by pushing the idea of parents' rights. Uh, she goes on, this is nothing more than extremist right-wing groups seeking to push their agendas and exert control over the rest of us under the guise of rights. Whose rights? Their rights, rights, <laughs> and there, and it's too bad uh, Representative Bowden is away. But do you uh, do you share that concern? Uh, do you see that characterization as well as as uh, valid, uh, Representative James? Absolutely, I think Anne said it beautifully. Um, uh, you know, as uh, she stated her concerns. I think that's why we need to have again the you know the Supreme Court has upheld time and time again. Um, protection of free speech and freedom of thought and expression and ideas and um, you know that that these schools can't censor censor literature um, based on one person's discomfort with that and I think we got to revisit that over and over again as these conversations about various bills go through the legislature to name it what it is to make sure that people understand that um, LGBTQ community is under attack and that there's um, many, you know, oppressed and marginalized people groups that are under attack in these um, book banning efforts against, you know, from Moms for Liberty. And I think those are valid concerns that Anne puts forward and uh, will continue to push for people and to make sure that kids have safe learning environments where they can thrive and, um, and do our best to elevate people over politics every single day. One of the uh, Republican members of the Government Oversight Committee said last week, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but to put it 
succinctly, if these books aren't obscene, then what is? That was his perspective. So in your view, what would it take for a book to be found inappropriate for a school library? Thank you for the question. Again, I would say that I'm not here as someone in politics to um, to defend or not defend particular material. I really do believe that educators and parents should be having these conversations on a local level. And that's why we need a strong process there. So I'm not able to answer that question um, straightforward, other than to say, again, independently elected school boards, a very strong process that's been you know put into place because of our protections around our First Amendment free speech. Mm-hmm. Let's go to a caller. Adam is in Northwest Iowa. Hi, Adam. Coming up on a break. Have to make it quick. Sure glad you're joining us, though. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Uh, I was just wondering if you can't read it over the broadcast ways of the radio, exactly what sort of defense we possibly have for it being taught to children in grade school. Well, well, Representative I guess, James. Yeah, thank you. Go ahead, Representative James. Sure, thank you. Again, thank you for the question. I think at the end of the day, this has to do with upholding parental choice. There were parents who talked to me and shared uh, with the public their concerns and how important these particular books were for their child's development and for uh, them to feel that their you know, school is a safe learning environment where they are accepted and where they belong. Mm-hmm. Representative James, perhaps we can close out by having you comment on, on the, you know, evolving science, uh, medical science for LGBTQ uh, youth. Uh, uh, we have the American Medical Association, for instance, saying that, quote, trans and non-binary gender identities are normal variations of human identity and expression. And the AMA recommends that young people explore and live the gender that they they choose. Is this part of the debate, the discussion that is happening among uh, lawmakers from both parties? Well, I would hope that it is a part of the debate uh, along both parties. Um, but, you know, certainly um, that is something that I weigh. Um, and we're having conversations in government oversight um, right now about gender affirming care. That's a topic for another day. But, um, you know, we had in medical doctors who shared with us um, some of the updated science and the realities of these young people who often are struggling with mental health concerns and um, and how even just social affirmations of their identity, so no medical interventions whatsoever, um, can actually um, move someone from feeling suicidal to a place where they can thrive. And I think that data and science is important and med- you know medical experts are important in this conversation. We need to... Public schools are charged with educating every single child and um, making sure that every single child has their best chance at life and a safe learning environment. And so we want to make sure that we are doing whatever we can to make that possible for every child. Okay, thank you very much, uh, Representative Lindsey James, a Dubuque, uh, Dubuque Democrat. Uh, before that, Representative uh, Brooke Bowden, a Republican from Indianola. Uh, with my co-host, uh, Grant Gerlach, uh, we're going to switch topics. Uh, thanks for now, Grant. We'll talk another time. Uh, after the break, uh, we'll discuss the governor's health care bill that has seen a backlash from both pro- and anti-abortion advocates with lawmakers on both sides of the aisle. We'll have two lawmakers with us and uh, my co-host for the next portion of the program, IPR's Natalie Krebs, our health uh, reporter. We hope you'll stay tuned. Join us, 1-866-780-9100.
Support for IPR comes from The Healing Room at Upstream Functional Medicine, offering medical spa services that support the body's natural ability to detoxify from environmental challenges. Learn more about The Healing Room at upstreamfm.com. We're back with more of River to River from IPR News. I am Ben Kiefer. And um, moving on from our last topic, uh, where we looked at transparency in education, also book challenges, book banning, very controversial, this debate happening at the State House. Mondays on our program during the legislative session, we like to, to focus on these um, high profile issues. Here's another one. Uh, this portion of the program will focus on the governor's health care bill, a bill that has seen a backlash uh, both from pro and anti-abortion advocates. In just a moment, we'll be joined by Iowa lawmakers on both sides of the aisle as well in this segment for their views. But first, let's get a better handle on these proposed health care changes in the state. Uh, my co-host for this portion of the program, Natalie Krebs, our health reporter here at IPR. Hi, Natalie. Hi, Ben. This is a big bill um, with a lot of parts. Uh, walk us through some of the most uh, high-profile, perhaps most controversial parts, first of all, perhaps. Yeah, this is a wide-ranging bill. It has a, a couple of parts. One's a state-funded obstetrics fellowship program, adoption subsidy for potential adoptive parents, scholarship program for foster kids. Um, and as you mentioned, there are two parts of this that are particularly uh, controversial. One is would create a standing order for birth control at pharmacies, basically meaning that, you know, Iowa residents would not need to obtain a prescription from a doctor. They could go to a pharmacist and get birth control from it. The other being um, an additional $2 million to a program called More Options for Maternal Support or MOMS program that funds centers that um, do not support abortion or do not do abortions or refer, refer patients for abortion. Um, typically known as crisis pregnancy centers. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, I'm sure we'll ferret out some other parts of this large bill. But first of all, let's uh, introduce our lawmakers uh, for the rest of the program. Representative Devin Wood is with us, a Republican from uh, Newmarket. Welcome to you. Representative Wood, are you there? Yes. Can you hear me? Yes. Now I can hear you. Welcome. Sorry. <laughs> no, sorry. Said, Hi. Thank you guys so much for having me. Yes. And I understand you're the bill's floor manager, vice chair of the Health and Human Services Committee, also on the Appropriations Committee. Uh, we also have with us uh, Representative Beth Wessel-Crochelle, a Democrat from Ames, from Story County, ranking member of the Health and Human Services Committee, also on Appropriations. Uh, Representative uh, Wessel-Crochelle, welcome back to our program. Thank you for having me. Okay. Uh, obviously, there in the State House uh, Law Library. Let's go to you, Representative uh, Wood, via telephone here. Uh, as Natalie pointed out, a lot of parts uh, to this health care bill. What is in this bill that you are especially uh, backing as, as needed change in our health care landscape? Yeah, so first of all, and, and I'll answer that question a little more fully, but I wanted to note that I'm actually joining by phone because. Um, I toured one of the regional centers of excellence um, in our state in Carroll this morning. Um, so that's one of the pieces that I'm uh, incredibly excited about with this uh, with this language. So um, got to see, you know, quite a bit of what the, um, you know, resources and education tools, training, um, really all around what that uh, center provides um, to not only that local, you know, hospital at, at St. Anthony's and Carroll, um, but really to a broad um, uh, uh, 
area covering um, quite a bit of, you know, the entire western portion of the state. Um, in fact, I'll just make a note of, of one of the things that was exciting to uh, hear about was they had just, uh, in the last couple months, had just done a training um, in my district uh, down in Clorinda, Iowa, at the hospital. So um, I, that was one of the points I was going to uh, talk about, and I thought what an apt, uh, you know, opportunity to uh, talk about the experience that I had this morning. So um, this bill, you know, would double the number of those regional centers of excellence. Um, I, like I said, I got to see firsthand the great work that those centers are doing um, and excited that this language would add more. Um, it would add uh, also four additional family medicine and obstetric fellowships um, uh, per year in our state. Um, it would also, um, you know, create the, the statewide standing order um, uh, for uh, uh, self-administered uh, hormonal contraceptives, um, and uh, it would add $1.5 million to the MOMS program um, that I believe was introduced last year, um, and also uh, support fatherhood initiatives. So, um, so really, you know, supporting uh, children and families, um, well-rounded uh, moms, uh, moms and dads supporting each other, um, and uh, it would it would also increase those uh, allowable legal expenses um, uh, to make us you know more modern um, uh, with with what the the legal adoption um, you know costs are uh, right now, um, as well as as expanding some opportunities for uh, foster care students under our um, uh, the already uh, established program, the All Iowa Opportunity Scholarship. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much, Representative Wood. Let's go to our Democrat uh, in the State House, um, Beth Wessel Crochelle, Representative Wessel Crochelle. Um, thank you very much uh, for joining us. What is your, what jumps out at you in this large, multifaceted bill that um, either you are a proponent of or um, really are against? Sure. Thanks so much for having me. Um, There are really three evidence-based policy changes which would significantly improve maternal health and family health in Iowa. Those are extend Medicaid for one year for postpartum or to reinstate the Medicaid family planning waiver, which provided access to birth control and STT STD testing and treatment, and then finally paid family leave. Unfortunately, um, none of those are in this bill. One of them was, um, and we're hopeful still that that might come out of the labor uh, labor committee, the family leave part. But those aren't in this bill. Most of this bill creates, you know, some incremental um, changes that are positive, I believe, for maternal health. That's most of it, but it's not evidence-based, and it's it's very um, minuscule in compared to what those three policies could do. But what's very concerning about this bill is the $2 million that's going to go to support crisis pregnancy centers. The American Medical Association calls crisis pregnancy centers legal but unethical. Um, They delay access to legitimate care. Um, They oftentimes have volunteers who are wearing white jackets to make themselves look like they are medical providers where, in fact, they are not. I have one example of how it, this has delayed care here in our own state. A pregnant pa- patient entered a local CPC in pain, and the volunteer did an ultrasound and didn't find the pregnancy. So the volunteer sent the patient home saying they were probably miscarrying. And at home, the pain became so unbearable that the patient barely made it to the ER to discover an ectopic pregnancy. 
So that patient needed true, real medical licensed care um, in order to find that. And it was life. It was a life risking um, uh, piece. So I am very much opposed to giving um, $2 million to a group that is kind of acting like they are medical care, but they're really not, and delaying that kind of access for um, for Iowa's families. I think we need a response. So, Representative... Oh, so, sorry. sorry, go ahead, Natalie. Go ahead. Um, I have a question, if you don't mind. Um, so Representative Wessel Crochelle just basically outlined some of the concerns about this portion of the bill. Um, I wanted to see if Representative Wood perhaps would want to respond to some of that with this cr- criticism of the MOMS program funding perhaps going to unregulated crisis pregnancy centers. So first of all, I'll start with responding to uh, Representative Wessel Crochelle's uh, point about things that aren't in the bill um, you know, this is this is a proposal of some of the things that um, that can um, absolutely make a difference in in our maternal health uh, health care system. Um, and and you did mention that there was a portion that was originally introduced in this bill. Uh, there actually were a couple pieces that um, we had decided uh, would fit better in um, in some other committees to really give them the, the full attention of a standalone bill. Um, for example, that labor piece that you mentioned, um, you know, very important um, and still a priority. Um, just wanted it to be, you know, recognized in the committee where um, we're already talking about labor workforce and therefore um, a lot of those, those topics that would be uh, covered in that committee would actually um, uh, you know, lend their resources to, to that particular section of the bill. Um, there was uh, some other examples of things that were uh, uh, taken out were like the rural emergency hospitals, again, only because it had been already introduced as a standalone bill that was already uh, moving forward and had actually progressed at least on the House side uh, prior to this. So, um, so really those, those decisions to, um, uh, to take a few of those things out um, uh, were really made with the best interests of, of those pieces um, and wanting to give them um, actually more attention um, in their respective, uh, you know, committee topics. So I just wanted to address that first. Um, and, you know, secondly, um, you know, having access to, to some of these crisis, uh, crisis pregnancy centers, um, you know, has really made a, a, an impact on a lot of folks' lives um, in an incredibly positive way. You know, um, I've I've actually had the opportunity to talk with um, several different ones that offer different services, um, and and really they walked me through. You know, if I were to come in and, and had questions about a pregnancy um, and and what they offer, um, and and you know, these are folks who who are willing to um, to listen to somebody who you know may be going through a pregnancy for the first time or might be wanting some, you know, um, advice on, on, you know, a second or third pregnancy. It's, um, it was really, um, really empowering to hear um, some of these folks who, who, you know, had had questions in, um, in their own pregnancies or in their, um, you know, their own journey uh, to motherhood, um, really be a resource for, for some of these folks that, um, you know, may be going through it for the first time. Um, and yes, they do uh, sometimes offer things like 
um, you know, free uh, ultrasounds um, and, and offer equipment like that. Um, one of the things that they did, uh, the, at least the groups that I talked with, um, stressed was, you know, here are some, some things that if you're having, you know, pain, if you're having, um, you know, discomfort, um, you know, if they didn't offer, you know, if they didn't have a medical provider on staff, um, they would absolutely encourage someone to, um, you know, see a, a, a physician at a, a hospital or clinic, um, you know, if it's a, if it's a, a concern, um, you know, don't be afraid to go um, to an emergency room um, to, to seek the immediate care that, that you should get. Um, so, I mean, one of the things these folks were was really just a resource to um, to talk with. I mean, from from an all around standpoint, you know, they offered um, they offered really a, a hand to hold um, for someone who who may not um, have somebody else to chat with about that. Well, this is certainly one of the most controversial parts of the bill. I kind of want to jump to the other part of it as well that has some controversy, which is particularly this this section of it would that would give a standing order to allow Iowans to access birth control at pharmacies. Um, we're talking about the House bill today, but we're noticing the Senate bill that they've actually taken that that portion out of it as they've advanced it. So I wanted to ac- actually ask uh, Representative Wood again: Have you spoken to the Senate at all about? you know, kind of what will happen to this bill going forward and that particular part of it? Yeah, um, I have chatted with a couple of folks over in the Senate um, uh, about their version of the bill. You know, um, we see this um, sometimes uh, with different pieces of legislation that have, um, you know, matching or, or similar um, uh, House and Senate files. Um, sometimes they have differences in them. And, um, and as those pieces move forward, um, you know, if there are companion bill, um, we discuss those. And, and sometimes that means it will, you know, bounce back to, um, you know, if the House passes it first, it'll go to the Senate. If the Senate chooses to, um, you know, make changes, it can it can then bounce back to the House. So, um, so that's something that happens with uh, with a lot of legislation, um, actually, and and it is something that we've chatted about of what what would it look like going forward. Um, but I'm really excited to see this piece in here. You know, I'm uh, I personally am, am pro life, and I um, I think that you know access to to having uh, you know for example um, a conversation um, with either a pharmacist or, or a, a physician about you know your options um, before having a pregnancy that could eventually um, you know end in an in a, uh, unfortunate you know um, situation where you'd have to make a choice um, we want to prevent folks from having to make those you know difficult decisions at the beginning if um, if they want to you know you know have conversations about how they can um, be educated um, before that so I'm, I'm excited to see this piece in um, and moving forward we'll just keep talking with our, our Senate colleagues to see how their pieces progress. And then Representative Wessel Crochelle, did you want to jump in at all with your thoughts sure. on this portion of the bill? Sure. I think this is a, a great example that, you know, it takes us a little ways in the right direction if we got the standing order for pharmacists to provide um, self-administered contraception. Unfortunately, um, the best birth control that has that lowered our abortion rates here in the state of Iowa up until uh, 2017 is long-acting reversible contraceptives where you still have to go to a physician. And we still have a problem with access to that kind of care in the state. We did end up closing four um, clinics that were offering that under the Medicaid family planning uh, waiver that ended in 2017. So that's the 
best way to prevent unintended pregnancies because a woman doesn't have to remember to take it every time. It's not self-administered. It's you go to your doctor, you get it, and um, and it lasts a long time, yet it is reversible. So I am fully supportive of this, but I think we need to go further. I definitely think that the Medicaid family planning waiver um, provided more holistic approach to women's health care. Um, this has passed out of the House at least twice. I have voted for it at least two times, um, and it, it always dies in the Senate, so I'm not very optimistic that um, we will get it through. But I, I would like to. Um, I think it's a good program. We have about 30 seconds left. Uh, the final 30 seconds to you, Representative Bo um, uh, Wood, please. Very short. Oh, uh, absolutely. Uh, um, the whole bill, you know, I'm just... Um, I'm very honored to be able to to be uh, you know working on this bill with um, with a lot of different folks who have worked on the moms program for years, who have worked on this piece of uh, you know contraceptives, who have really um, you know put their heart and soul into these regional centers of excellence, these fellowship programs, um, and really just want to provide um, you know more maternal health care um, access and and you know really be a support system to um, to mothers, fathers, parents, families as a whole. So okay. um, I, thank you. Thank you, Representative Devin Wood, Republican and Democrat Representative Beth Wessel Crochelle. Thank you very much. And uh, thanks to my co-host here, Natalie Krebs. Tomorrow on the program, uh, cancer in Iowa remains persistent, but more Iowans are surviving the disease. Fewer are dying from it. Uh, tomorrow on the program, I'll talk with a number of cancer researchers from the University of Iowa. We'll find out what types of cancer are on the increase and where we've seen success in prevention and treatment. Tomorrow on the program. Today's program produced by Samantha McIntosh with help from Caitlin Troutman, engineered by John Pemble. I'm Ben Kiefer. Thanks for joining us.